0: These are all the notices. The call to worship this morning is Psalm 97, verses 1, sorry, verse 12. Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. Well, let us commence the worship of God with prayer. Let us stand to pray. Our gracious and eternal Father, we pray that thou would enable us to enter into thy holy presence with great reverence, with godly fear, remembering that thou art the Lord God Almighty. And we pray that we might give thanks at the remembrance of thy holiness, that we might rejoice in thee, the Lord our God, that we might delight ourselves in thee, in the perfections of thy being, in fellowship and in communion with thee, We plead that thou wilt forgive us of our many sins and have mercy upon us. We thank thee that uh, thou art ever gracious and merciful. We pray that we might increase in the fear of God, in love for thee, in love of the brethren, and all that thou would enable us to glorify thee then as we worship thee now. Forgive us of our many sins and have mercy upon us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we read the word of God, reading Isaiah chapter 37. Isaiah 37. And we continue on in the account of Sennacherib's, King Sennacherib's blasphemous uh, speech against the Lord, and we see the outcome of these things at the end of this chapter. Uh, it, Isaiah chapter 37. And it came to pass, when King Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, unto Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and of blasphemy, for the children are come to the birth, and there is, no, there is not strength to bring forth. It may be the Lord thy God will hear the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria, his master, hath sent to reproach the living God, and he will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall ye say unto your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words that thou hast heard, wherewith the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumour and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he had heard that he was departed from Lachish. And he heard say concerning Terhaka, the king of Ethiopia, he is come forth to make war with thee. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall ye speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, let not thy God, in whom thou trustest, deceive thee, saying Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, thou hast heard what the king of Assyria, uh, what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by destroying them utterly, and shalt thou be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, which my fathers have destroyed? As Gozan and Haran and Rezeph, and the children of Eden, where which were in Telassar, where is the king of Hamath, and the king of Arphad, and the king of the city of Sepharvaim, Hena and Iva, and Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it, and Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed unto the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. Incline thine ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which has sent to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their countries and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even <clears throat> thou only. Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent unto Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Whereas thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, hath despised thee and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed, and against whom hast thou exalted thy voice and lifted up thine eyes on high, even against the Holy One of Israel? By thy servants hast thou reproached the Lord and hast said by the multitude of my chariots am I come up to the height of the mountains to the sides of Lebanon and I will cut down the tall cedars thereof and the choice fir trees thereof and I will enter into the height of his border and the forest of his carmel. I have digged and drunk water and with the sole of my feet have I dried up all the rivers of the besieged places. Hast thou not heard long ago how I have done it, and of ancient times that I have formed it? Now have I brought it to pass, that thou shouldest be to lay waste, defenced cities into ruinous heaps. Therefore their inhabitants were of small power, they were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field, and as the green herb, as the grass on the housetops, and as corn blasted before it be grown up. But I know thy abode, and thy going out, and thy coming in, and thy rage against me, because thy rage against me and thy tumult is come up into mine ears, therefore will I put my hook in thy nose and my bridle in thy lips, and I will turn thee back by the way which thou camest. And this shall be a sign unto thee, ye shall eat this year such as groweth of itself, and the second year that which springeth of the same. And in the third year sow ye and reap and plant vineyards and eat the fruit thereof, and the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah, shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward, for out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and they, shall it, they that escape out of Mount Sion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, shall do this. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shields, nor cast a bank against it. By the way he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake, and for my servant David's sake. Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote a hundred and fourscore and five thousand, that's a hundred and eighty-five thousand, And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. And it came to pass, as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch his god, that Adremelech and Shereza his sons smote him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Armenia, and Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his stead. Amen, and may the Lord bless to us that portion of his own holy word. Well, let us sing to God's praise, singing in the words of Psalm 140, sorry, 104, verses 19 to 30. Psalm 104, verses 19 to 30. And you'll re- observe 30 and 31 form a double stanza, so we stop at the end of verse 30. He sets the moon in heaven, thereby the seasons to discern. From him the sun his certain time of going down doth learn. Thou darkness makes tis night, then beasts of forest creep abroad. The lions young roar for their prey and seek their meat from God. To God's praise, Psalm 104, verses 19 to 30. <clears throat> He sets the moon in heaven, thereby the seasons to discern. From him the sun his certain time of going down doth learn. Thou darkness makes his night then be creep abroad the lions young roar for their prey and seek their meat from God the sun doth rise and home they flock down in their desert doth to the evening ply. How manifold, Lord, are thy works in wisdom wonderful. Thou every one of them hast made a of thy riches full. So is this great and spacious sea, where And small are there Their ships go there Thou makes to play That Leviathan great all always on thee That thou mayst In due time give them meet that which thou givest unto them they gather for their food thine hand thou openst liberally their Thy face, they troubled are their breath, thou takes away, then do they die and to their dust return again. Quickening spirit bouncing forth, then they created be, and then the earth decayed face. read the Word of God, reading Ephesians, chapter 2. Ephesians, chapter 2. We'll hear then the Word of God. And you hath he quickened, or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or manner of life in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together together, in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember, that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain or of two one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, And to them that were nigh, for through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Amen. Now I just wish to comment briefly on uh, verses 15 and 16, where it says, Having abolished in his flesh, that is Christ, having abolished in his flesh, the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that law of commandments contained in ordinances is referring to uh, particularly the ceremonial law and aspects and elements of that other body of law that goes hand in hand with the ceremonial law, commonly referred to as the judicial law, the laws that govern the daily civil affairs of the nation of Egypt and uh, that uh, the ceremonial law together with the uh, judicial law were abrogated at the point at which the veil of the temple tore from top to bottom when Christ died. This is not referring to the Ten Commandments. And uh, that body of ordinances was one of the great divides between the Jews and the Gentiles in uh, the Old Testament economy. and so they have been abrogated, abolished, and that the Lord now, um, excuse me, in verse 16, that he might reconcile both unto unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and that demonstrates the common heritage we have as Christians in the New Testament economy, the common heritage we have with the the Christians, the believers, of the Old Testament economy, that common heritage we have in Christ and in his finished work. They were saved in exactly the same way as we are saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 20, the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, the foundation of the apostles and prophets refers... Um, to the Scriptures of the New Testament and the Scriptures of the Old Testament. Apostles put for the Scriptures of the New Testament um, prophets put for the Scriptures of the Old Testament and showing that the, both Testaments are of equal abiding authority and uh, we are to take heed to both the Old Testament and to the New Testament. Well, let us again seek the face of God in prayer. Let us stand to pray. Our gracious and eternal Father, we have read of thy deliverance of thine ancient people from the hand of Sennacherib, that wicked and ungodly king and idolater. And we pray that we might remember that thou dost deliver thy people from thine and their enemies that thou art he who raises one up and puts another down. And all we pray that we might remember in our day and generation when we see the leaders of our nation in all their several uh, branches of government, the leaders of the nations of this world, steeped in iniquity and sin and actively working against the testimony of thy truth, the proclamation of thy word, the application of thy law, to the consciences of mankind. We pray that thou would enable thy people to remember that thou dost confound them and confuse them, that thou dost send strong delusions upon them. Thou hast them in derision, and all oh, we pray that thou would enable us then to be waiting upon thee. We pray that thou would hasten the day of the outpouring of thy spirit universally and simultaneously. Upon all flesh, that vast multitudes would be brought into the kingdom of heaven, and that thy word would be preached in all its fullness by thy servants, greatly blessed to the souls of them that hear. And our Father, we pray for grace to be patient and to wait patiently upon thee, to persevere in well doing, to continue on upon that straight and narrow way set before us. And we pray that we might learn to seek the old paths of thy truth and that uh, we might see that uh, there is great stability in them, that there is great blessing uh, upon thy truth to the souls of them that take it up by thy grace. And, O Lord, we pray that we might remember uh, that thou art he who quickens his people according to thy word, that thou dost pluck us as firebrands from the burning, effectually calling us by thy word and by thy spirit, uh, beseeching us to be reconciled unto thee through the finished work of thine only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all that we might learn to live life uh, in light of thy truth and in light of eternity, that thou would enable us to remember that thy people have been redeemed, body and soul, and that we might learn uh, to glorify thee in our bodies and in our souls, and that we might glorify thee by believing thy truth, loving thy truth, and above all, loving thee as thou art revealed in the pages of thy holy word. And our Father, we pray that thou would be building up thy church in our day and generation reviving thy cause in the midst of the years, reviving thy people in the midst of the years. Oh, that thou would rend the heavens and come down and send us a blessing that we cannot contain, that thou would be glorified uh, in the effectual application of thy truth by the Holy Spirit to the souls of all those that hear, that thy people might be built up and strengthened in the inner man, granted grace to persevere, to continue on, eschewing evil, uh, hating iniquity and sin, loving righteousness and pursuing holiness, without which no man shall see thee. And our Father, we pray that thou would be building us up in the faith once delivered to the saints, adding others to our number to worship thee with us, enabling us to witness a good confession, glorifying thee, before the sons of men. We pray for the families represented here, that thy hand would be upon them for good. We pray for those who would normally be with us who are sick, that thy restoring and healing hand would be upon them. We thank thee for the measure of recovery thou hast granted also, for those of our number who have been been experiencing the infirmities of the flesh and bodily uh, weakness. We pray that... Uh, thy healing and restoring hand would continue to be upon them. And we pray, O Lord, that uh, thou would be blessing our brethren in other places and particularly those with whom we are closely associated, that thy hand would be upon them for good, strengthening, upholding them. We pray for thy servants who preach thy word, that thou would be enabling them to uh, proclaim thy truth in all its fullness and humble dependence upon thee for grace to help in time of need. We thank thee for the provision of our needs, thy mercy to us. We thank thee that we can uh, gather to worship thee uh, without fear or favour. We pray for thy blessing uh, upon thy truth in our midst and as it goes forth from this place. And we pray that uh, thy hand would continue upon thy people for good, Hear us then, we beseech thee, and as we come now to the hearing of the preaching of thy word, enable us to hear with the hearing of faith. Bless thy word to our souls. Grant that it would be made effectual to us, pardoning all our iniquity and our sin, and granting much grace and help in the preaching of thy word. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, friends and brethren, if you would turn with me, please, in your own Bibles to the book of Proverbs and to chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, and we're taking up our study um, in Proverbs 4, verses 20 to 27, under the broad heading of keeping the heart with all diligence. We come then to Sermon 7, continuing on, looking at the subject of the, effect, the objective application of the Scripture's essential to every aspect of life. And we're continuing on this morning, God willing, where we left off last Lord's Day, looking at the latter part of verse 22. We're going to read verses 20 to 22. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto thee, uh, unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Well, last Lord's Day, looking at the earlier part of verse 22, um, we were considering the fact that uh, in summary form, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, and that sinners are brought to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through the instrumentality of of the word of God blessed to their souls by the spirit of God. And that's reflected in what we read in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. You have he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins and that by grace are we saved through faith and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. And we were considering the fact that spiritual life Um, spiritual life um, is is wrought in the soul by the spirit of God working with and by the word of God which is why it is so critically important uh, to be under the ministry of the word of God to be reading the scriptures feeding our souls upon the very truth of God and framing our lives according to the pattern that is set down in the word of God out of love for God, seeking to please him. And as it says, for they are life unto those that find them. So not only is their life imparted in terms of the new birth under the sinner being raised from spiritual death to spiritual life by the Spirit of God, working with and by the word of God in their souls, that not only is that entrance granted unto the way of life as they're plucked, as a sinner is plucked as a firebrand from the burning, brought out of darkness into God's marvellous light, the Lord working mightily in the sinner, uniting them to Christ by faith, and then working mightily in them to will and to do of his good pleasure. So not only is that entrance onto the way of life, into the kingdom of heaven, brought about by the Spirit of God, working effectually in the sinner, with and by the word of God, but being steeped in the word of God, feeding our souls upon the truth of God, being under the ministry of the word of God, is critically important to our spiritual lives and our spiritual health and well-being. The more we neglect the word of God, the more we neglect the means of grace, the more we find that we shall falter upon the way of life. Our backsliding shall increase. Our hope and our hope and certainty and confidence um, shall in, in, the, in the truth of God and in Christ shall diminish. Um, we shall find ourselves languishing and having to cry more unto God in terms of the words of the Psalmist in Psalm 119, where he says, "Quicken thou me according to thy word, for my soul cleaves to the dust." And less will we know of that joy and rejoicing in Christ our Lord in the present reality of communion and fellowship with him. Now that is not to say that our spiritual fainting fits are always the result of a neglect of the means of grace. There are times when the Lord tries us and shows us where our heart truly lies, where do your affections truly lie? He hides his face from you. Um, The reality of his presence is not as strong as it sometimes is. And we pine and we cry um, out, oh, that I knew where my beloved was that I might find him. And he does so to increase our faith, to strengthen us, to remind us where our affections really are, to show us uh, if our affections are set upon the things that are above or upon the things here on the earth below. For what are we living and for whom are we living? So it is not always that the trials that come upon us are come upon us because of our neglect, but that is commonly a cause. Um, It shall be life. Uh, they They are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Now, I said that today we would be turning our attention, God willing, uh, to the latter part of the uh, passage uh, uh, and health to all their flesh. But before we do, I just want to revisit the very end of the first part of this verse, find them. That word find has the uh, connotation of finding something of great value and it has the connotation of seeking it out and once we found it, not letting it go. Our Lord um, speaks of the man who, when he found a, a great treasure hid in a field, he bought the whole field. He found the pearl of great price and sold all that he had. And the, the, uh, the emphasis there is upon the preciousness and the value of the gospel and of the word of God and that salvation that is in Christ Jesus Uh, That emphasis also upon the value of the word of God, the most precious thing that this world affords, the most precious precious object you can ever have in your hands is a faithful translation of the scriptures or the scriptures in their original languages if you're able to access those original languages through knowledge of them. And so the question is, is, what do we value Do we come to the Word of God as those that have found great spoil? And do we come to the Word of God seeing and understanding that it is the testimony of this book that the Spirit of God uses to impart spiritual life and to bring a sinner to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and then to an understanding of how we should then live? And uh, that this book is the sure guide to heaven the glory and majesty and perfection of Almighty God is manifested in the Scriptures, and the glories that await the believers in eternity, their souls, first of all, from the point of their death to the resurrection, and then body and soul from the resurrection to all eternity, glorified together with Christ. All of these things are revealed in the pages of Scripture. And then God's dealings with his people. We just read... Um, In Isaiah er, 36 and in Isaiah 37 we've just read of the interaction between King Sennacherib and Hezekiah and the Jewish people and how the Lord utterly confounded him in his iniquity, in his pride and in his boasting and uh, did the very thing that he, that is Sennacherib, um, said could not be done and that is that the Lord was not able to deliver out of his hand, well, not only did he deliver out of his hand, um, but his life was forfeit um, in the midst of his idolatry, and so finding them, finding the scriptures, and not merely reading them but reading them in order to be taught and to understand what is the revealed will of god, and then he goes on to say um, for they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Now, there are several aspects of this part of of the, the, the verse that we need to look at under the term flesh. The word translated flesh in the Hebrew language has several connotations and several emphases of meaning depending upon the context. In the context of the passage before us, it particularly has reference to um, the soundness of mind, the settledness of purpose, the soundness of mind, the settledness of purpose, the settledness of conviction in the belief of the truth as it is revealed in the Scriptures, and the settledness of uh, communion and fellowship with the Lord. That it, it it, it has the connotation and force and emphasis upon the effect and consequences of the gospel and the word of God, the gospel in particular, the word of God as a whole, upon the mind and upon the disposition and outlook of the soul. And it is to that aspect of things that we're first going to turn. It also has a connotation in terms of physical health. There is an implication in terms of physical health, and I'm going to address those things as well. Well, if we turn over to 2 Timothy chapter uh, 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be going backwards and forwards uh, through various passages of Scripture while we pursue um, uh, this particular uh, line of inquiry. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And then we're going, we're going to read. Um, we'll, we'll read from verse one to set the overall context. Verse one of First Timothy chapter one. The verse we're sorry, Second Timothy chapter one. The verse we're particularly interested in is verse seven. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise, according to the promise uh, of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved Son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance, that unfeigned faith which is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, and listen to what he says, But of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us with an holy calling. Sorry, saved us and called us with an holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began but now is made but is now made manifest by the appearing of our savior Jesus Christ who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel and so he says that one of the fruits of saving grace in the soul is uh, the imparting of a sound mind, soundness of mind. Now, what does it mean, soundness of mind? Health to all thy bones. What does this mean? What are we to understand by this kind of terminology, this kind of reference in the Scriptures? Well, there are several things. First of all, that all of our thinking and all of the direction of our thinking and the manner and direction of our lives is going to be governed by the Word of God. We will be thinking biblically about all that is before us, taking heed to the very solemn warnings that we find in Scripture concerning those who receive not a love of the truth, I'll be coming to some of those warnings, concerning those who are merely hearers of the Word and not doers of the Word, in James, uh, deceiving themselves and then the effect and consequence of error upon the mind, our outlooks, and indeed our lives. In the, first epistle, sorry, in the epistle general of James, in the first chapter of that epistle, we read these words at the beginning. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren... Count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations or trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect or complete and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. But let that not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so this wisdom of which James is speaking is that wisdom which is imparted by the Spirit of God through the effectual application of the word of God to the mind, the heart, the thinking of the individual. And when we lack wisdom and when we have difficult and thorny questions, we need to be coming before the Lord and pleading that he will grant us wisdom. And that wisdom is granted through the effectual application of the word and the truth of God. Let them not depart from thine eyes word and sayings. Uh, Verse 20, Word the content of Scripture, sayings the application of it, and that we must search them out. Keep them constantly before your eyes. Let them not depart from before thine eyes. Keep them in thine heart, for they shall be life unto thee, and health to all thy bones, to the entirety of thy person. And the more that we frame our thinking and our lives and the whole outlook on, on every aspect of life, according to the Scriptures, the greater we will see, uh, the greater will be our stability, and the more greatly we will see that settledness and steadiness of heart and of mind that ought to characterise the lives of every Christian. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 reminds us that he gave pastors and teachers to his church to teach the truth of God, that the people of God would be no more tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but that they would be established, settled. The Apostle Peter warns of the charlatans who seek to draw people away after uh, after, um, all sorts of wicked and ungodly ideas, all sorts of false teaching, false notions. And the world is full of them at the moment. You go on the internet and you will see people trying to draw people away into all sorts of delusions and follies. Um, It would take us hours probably to list them all. And all of these delusions and follies come upon men because they've received not a love of the truth. They do not love God. They are not framing their thinking according to the word of God. And they're not framing their thinking according to a careful exegesis of and application of the scriptures to the way of life. Now, you might say, but scripture isn't a book of science. It's not a manual of science. So how can we apply this principle, for example, in the question of origins? Well, from whence did we come? How did we end up upon the face of this earth? Where did mankind come from? Where did life come from? Hasn't science proved that we all evolved out of a pool of slime over billions of years? Well, what's the problem with that kind of thinking? Well, first of all, it completely overturns the clear and plain testimony of the the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The second thing is, when we come to questions about anything, we should always remember the biblical standard of proof. In the presence of two or of three witnesses, let every word be established. And then we must examine the facts of the matter, not people's interpretation of those facts or or what they say surrounding them, but the actual facts themselves. What are the facts we need to examine them in light of the standards of Scripture. Are they true? Where is the evidence? What kind of evidence? Is it conjecture? Is it an assertion which is masquerading as a fact? Or is it actually a fact that can be demonstrated to the biblical satisfaction of the biblical standard of proof and then are we able to take it up? And so, uh, when we speak of wisdom, that wisdom from which is above, easily entreated, pure, it's that wisdom that God imparts through the effectual application of his truth to the soul of the Christian. And the question is, do you rely upon your own wisdom? Do you rely upon the wisdom of men? Or in your decision-making and in your thinking, do you come back to the testimony of this book and apply it in every aspect of your life? Is it truly the only rule of faith and life? Now, this doesn't mean that we can't read books about the Bible, and it doesn't mean that there aren't helpful things written Preaching is one of the major main ordinances of the gospel and the means of instruction and the application, the means by which the facts of scripture, the content of scripture is applied and is explained and uh, exegeted. So first of all then, um, of a sound mind and the application of the effectual application of the word of God as the means by which God grants wisdom uh, to his people. But then in the next place under this heading, in the next place under this heading, the very solemn warnings, the very solemn warnings that come to those who receive not a love of the truth. Let us turn over once again to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I've mentioned this passage on a number of occasions recently, and I think it's important to consider it yet again. So it says... Verse um, seven: For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth—that is, who's holding it back—will hold him back, uh, uh, will hold it back until he be taken out of the way. That is, the person who was going to or was standing in the way of the full manifestation of the Antichrist. That is, the Pope of Rome and the Papacy. And that um, it's referring to he being taken away, referring. To the Roman Empire and the pagan, the Roman Emperor and the pagan Roman Empire. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Now I want you to notice how did he get this sway over these people and how did he capture their minds and how did he capture their hearts and how did he bring them into subjugation unto himself? What does it say? Um, It says, um, verse 10, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. They receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now that truth, that word truth there, refers to the body of Christian doctrine and teaching contained in the Scriptures. It's not some private interpretation, I think this and I think that. It is the clearly revealed emphasized body of truth in the scriptures referred to by Jude in verse 3 as the faith once delivered to the saints and by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter, uh, sorry, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, I think it's verse 15, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Ye shall know the truth and it shall set you free. Paul refers to it in Ephesians chapter 4 as one Lord, one faith, one baptism, the body of truth as it is set down in the Scriptures. And so he says that they they received not a love of the truth. Therefore, for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I could give you a catalogue of many sad cases, tragic cases, where people have taken the Scriptures, wrested them to their own destruction, steeped their mind in delusions about all sorts of different things, claiming that their thinking was founded in Scripture and taught in the Word of God, and they have made shipwreck of the faith which they once professed. They have brought... A great reproach and upon the name of Christ they have brought many great privations and judgments upon themselves they've ended up in utter confusion and many of them have gone off to a lost eternity they, they did not receive a, a, a love of the truth they, uh, God sent a strong delusion upon them that they should believe a lie and that they should not be saved and that's the way they went And so this whole idea that prevails in so much of the Christian church today, it doesn't matter what you believe so long as you're sincere. It doesn't matter that you think one thing and the rest of the church thinks another. It doesn't matter that you've got your own strange views concerning some verse in Scripture or some doctrine that you think is taught in Scripture. It does matter, and it matters a lot, because there are such things as damning delusions... There are such things as damning heresies that if you act intelligently upon those errors they lead to one place only and that is to the pit of hell. If you do not believe the truth and act upon it as it is set before us, believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ as he is revealed in the scriptures is the only way in which we shall be saved. Trusting in the name of Jesus Christ is exactly how it's put in Galatians. Believing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must believe upon Christ as he's revealed in the scriptures. And that there, there we could give you another catalogue, I won't in the interest of time, it might be a subject for another day, of the, some of the very subtle errors that come in. Some of the very subtle things. I'll give you one example And that is, we've already read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, By grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now there are some people who teach that we are saved by the faith. That the faith is the effective instrument, the effectual instrument, in the salvation of the sinner. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that it is by faith that we are saved, absolutely. But it is not the faith that saves us, it is the finished work of Christ. Faith is the instrument by which we receive all the benefits purchased by Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. By grace are you saved through faith. It is the instrument, the means by which we freely receive all that Christ accomplished in his finished work for his people in terms of their redemption and salvation and acceptance by the Father. The object of our faith is of critical importance. The object of our faith is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we believe in God, of course, but in terms of the persons of the Trinity, the person who is particularly the object of faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 3.16, a literal translation would be that whosoever believeth into him, that is, into union with him, um, uh, shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that faith that is the gift of God brings the Christian, brings the sinner into a saving union with Christ, an unbreakable and indissoluble union, which is the result of the work of the Spirit of God in the soul, the sinner enabled to believe upon the Saviour with all their heart, to the saving of their souls, saving permanently, savingly united to him for time and for eternity." And so what you believe concerning these things is critically important to the very life of your souls. These things are not matters of mere opinion. They're not matters that we can take lightly. They're not matters that we can say, well, it doesn't really matter. Or so-and-so believes and he thinks Jesus has been revealed in these words or those names. He thinks that you can be saved in this way or in that way. It's not what the Bible teaches, There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved, save that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you do not believe upon him and are not believing upon him as he's revealed in the scriptures with all your heart, then you are not yet a Christian. And if you are believing upon him with all your heart, according as he's revealed in the scriptures, then you are a Christian. And you are someone who's been made partakers of all the benefits that he has purchased in his finished work, in his death, and accomplished in his finished work. It shall be health to all your bones. And the first aspect of the emphasis of that word in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 22, is the whole man. With it comes that soundness of mind and of judgment. With it comes the blessing of God. With it comes... Strength for the toils of the morrow, with it comes, um, with it comes that certainty of hope and joy and rejoicing in Christ Jesus our Lord, in Proverbs chapter three and verse five, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil, and it shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Honour the Lord with, the sub- with thy substance and the firstfruits of all thy increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses sp- shall burst forth with new wine. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones." Trusting in the Lord, trusting in God, believing his truth, applying his word, being doers of it, is what Solomon is referring to. And these things all have a direct bearing upon the spiritual health of our souls, the soundness of our minds, and our hope and confidence in terms of time and in terms of eternity, in terms of time and in terms of eternity. Of eternity, So there is the spiritual aspect of our being that we are to take care of through the belief and apprehension of the truth. Now I've touched upon some of these things previously, so I'm not going to go back over old ground um, earlier on when we were speaking about t- taking up this truth with all our hearts. But I trust that you can see that there is a direct connection between your spiritual health, your spiritual condition and the application of the truth of God to your souls, and the belief of it, and the acting intelligently upon it. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, the very fibre of your being, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Showing that the law of God and the word of God is applied to the soul through the mind, and through the understanding by the Holy Spirit. There's much more that could be said, but we do need to hurry on. Time's getting away from us, and we've still got quite a bit to deal with. Well, then we read, It shall be health to all thy bones. And there's another aspect to these things that, are, as I mentioned, and that is the aspect of the connection between the body and the soul, between our physiological state and our spiritual state, between our physiological state and our spiritual state. Now, there's one particular thing I want to address first of all, and that is this. When we speak of the health of our bones, we go over to Psalm 103, verse 3. Psalm 103, verse 3, we sang it just recently in praise to God, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Who healeth all thy diseases. And then in Psalm 107, Psalm 107, verse 20, we'll read verse 19, Then they cry unto the Lord in their troubles, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them, from their destructions. And then over in Psalm 147, Psalm 147, verse 3, He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. And then in Isaiah 53, in Isaiah 53 and verse 5, Isaiah 53 and verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now, without going into a detailed exposition of each of those verses, there are several things that we observe. You notice that the spiritual and the physical are not disconnected. We are not disembodied spirits. That's the first thing that we observe. The second thing, there in some of those passages, the context is particularly in terms of the spiritual aspect of our being, our souls and so on. And in other of the passages, the specific emphasis is upon what? The specific emphasis is upon the physical, upon our bodies. Now, people take those passages, they go to the New Testament um, and they read verses such as Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, Verse 23, Luke 5, verse 23, and they read, and he said unto them, ye shall surely say unto unto me this proverb, physician heal thyself, whatsoever ye have done in Capernaum do also here in thy country, physician heal thyself. They go to other passages where there are um, records and accounts of miraculous healings of people, the Lord's whether it was the Lord um, healing those who were mortally ill, whether it was on occasion the apostles, and they say, there you are, there's evidence, that there is such a thing as gift of healing, and it's not God's will that you should be sick, and it's not God's will that you uh, should be suffering the infirmities of the flesh. The problem with you is your lacking faith. Now that is a summary, it is, that, that, that general thinking is sometimes described in slightly different ways, but they go to all of these passages and they say, right, there it is, it's God's will that all his people always be healed from everything. Now that's the extremity at on one hand, some may not go quite that far, but within that whole framework of thinking there are those who claim that they have the gift of healing. And they say, well, Paul healed, so therefore God's given me that gift I can heal. Well, there are several problems with that. The Apostle Paul did not indiscriminately exercise that gift. He exercised it to a very limited extent. It ignores the fact that those gifts that the Apostle Paul exercised in that direction, together with others, was for a purpose. It was to demonstrate during the early period of the Church in the New Testament economy that the Gospel had come to the Gentiles. In the end of the Old Testament economy, some of the, the, the miracles of Christ were validate, validating his claims to be the eternal Son of God. There was a specific purpose with a focus of attention. It says in um, uh, Second Timothy chapter four, Second Timothy chapter four, um, verse nineteen salute Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Paul did not heal Trophimus. It was not in the purposes of God. It would have been an abuse of of those things that God had given to the Apostle Paul for a particular purpose. He didn't heal him. So how are we then to understand thinking scripturally concerning sickness and disease? and God's dealings with us. It says, it shall be health to thy bones. Well, it shall be health to our bones and to our souls if, first of all, we understand something of what lies behind the infirmities of the flesh. Now, very clearly, there are times, unequivocally, where God miraculously heals people from terminal disease without any agency or instrumentality of man. I know of particular examples that are absolutely unequivocal. God healed that person to the recovery of life. And uh, that, that, that is absolutely indisputable fact. But there was no instrumentality of man. In one particular instance, um, a minister and one of his elders praying for one of the minister's sons who had um, hemorrhagic dengue fever, he was nearly dead, literally, vital signs have gone, his veins are flat, and they went into a room and they prayed that if it be the Lord's will, that he would restore this boy to life. Within ten minutes, the boy was completely well, as if nothing had ever happened. I know the man in person, and I've met the boy. It was in a Hindu hospital in another country, and the Hindu said, your God healed that man. That's unequivocal. It wasn't through the instrumentality of the men who prayed. It wasn't any gift that God had given to them. They did what they had been commanded to do, let the elders pray uh, for the sick that they might be healed. That was the emphasis. That was what they did. And if it was Lord's will that it didn't happen, well, then it was resigned to that. And it was the Lord granted recovery. And so there are cases of that. But we're not to think that it is God's will that his people never get sick, or that if we are sick, it is because of a lack of faith. There are physical afflictions that are sent upon us for a variety of purposes, and from a variety of causes. Let's turn over to Second Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul, uh, recounting something of his own experience, he says that he, he saw things, God showed him things concerning heaven that are not revealed in the Scriptures. He was, had those things revealed directly to him. He beheld some of the glories of heaven, which no Christian will see this side of eternity, and which it was not lawful for him to describe. That's why it says um, in um, verse 3, 2 Corinthians 13, And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. Um, he that was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter, of such an one will I glory. Yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. Um, in my infirmities. And he says in verse seven, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there were given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure for this thing I besought the Lord thrice three times that it might depart from me but he said unto me my grace is sufficient for thee my strength is made perfect in weakness most gladly therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may be upon me therefore I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches in necessities in persecutions in distresses For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And so there are many times where the infirmities of the flesh and the weaknesses that come upon us because we're poor, frail human flesh, sometimes more serious and sometimes less serious, at times terminal illness, comes upon the Christian. But it is the Christian's attitude and disposition... It is the Christians bearing up in the midst of those trials that demonstrates the reality of their faith in Christ. They don't complain, why me, Lord, what have I done to deserve this? They say, well, Lord, if it be thy will, grant me recovery, grant me a measure of strength, and grant me a return to a measure of health and uh, of strength. It's said of Moses um, over in Deuteronomy that at the time of his death, um, at the time of his death that his natural uh, force was not abated his natural strength was not abated his eye had not eyes had not grown dim he was in full health and strength uh, well advanced in years and that was in the mercy of God Moses had a great work to do he needed bodily strength to do it and he used his bodily strength in the service of almighty God And then there were others like Mephibosheth who was lame in both his legs as a result of an accident. The Lord took care of him through the instrumentality of David. He was Saul's son and David provided him with all that had been Saul's before Saul was killed in the field of battle. And he was provided for Miriam, Moses' wife. Um, she had leprosy sent upon her as a judgment upon her unbelief and the Lord said well it'll be seven days and then she was restored to the people the implication there is that uh, she was granted full recovery and we could keep going through examples in scripture there were purposes in these things and there was an attitude and a disposition whether it was bodily strength were not to rely upon it whether it's bodily weakness were not to complain against it We are to see that the Lord is teaching us a lesson that he taught the Apostle Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Now it is not wrong to be praying that the Lord would restore us to physical strength. There's many a day when some or all of us have been sick and some so seriously ill it was questionable whether we would even have lived. And the Lord blessed and the Lord granted recovery to health and to strength. But in all these things, what's the lesson he's teaching us? My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's the emphasis. Now come back to what I was saying. It shall be life to thee and health to all thy bones. Strength to all thy bones. Health to thee. Soundness of mind in connection with these things means that we look at sickness as scripture looks at sickness. We look and understand the promises of God. We see that there's a necessity ordinarily to make use of the ordinary means that God has given us in medicine and in all uh, the advances in medical technology. I'm not saying all of it's good, but not all of it's bad by any means. There are things today that people survive that they wouldn't have survived even five years ago and certainly 50 years ago. But we're not to think that 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 modern medicine has got to the point that it's unassailable. Many of its claims are capable of serious question because it's based on evolutionary theory, not on a creationist perspective of man created with all his organs, with an integral relation to each other and affected by the state of the soul. That's where the whole mental illness Uh, mantra, the whole mental illness industry has gone dangerously and terribly astray because it treats man as a collection of chemicals and that all of the problems that affect the body are simply chemical because they deny the spiritual aspect of man. I'm coming to that in a moment because there's a direct application of the passage before us in Proverbs. It shall be health to all thy bone, all their flesh, every aspect of your being. And so when you're afflicted with physical infirmities, whether it's physiological, you've got something mechanically wrong with your body, some infection, whatever it is, the biblical perspective on these things is, Lord, give me grace to help in time of need and grant me a measure of recovery. And when he does give you a measure of recovery, whether it's complete recovery through the use of means, whether it is some wonderful uh, intervention by the Lord, I know of an old lady. She's long dead now. I had the privilege of taking her funeral. I think I've mentioned to her before, her to you before. I went to her house in a very remote part. It is possible to be remote in Victoria. It was a remote part of the state of Victoria and she could hardly walk from her bedroom to the kitchen, literally. Could hardly walk in the intervening times prior to that since i had seen her. She had gone downhill physically very badly. She had terrible problems with her hips. She couldn't walk and there was no way that she could get any kind of medical intervention. I won't go into the reasons for that other than to say she couldn't. Two years later I went back there to preach and she was walking around like nothing had ever happened and she said, well, the Lord's healed me and it was unequivocal. She couldn't walk and now she can. Before she was riddled with pain, now she wasn't and she had, she had asked the Lord that if she would give her a, a return to strength so she could do certain things for him before he died, before she died. And the Lord granted her recovery. It's unequivocal. He gave her grace in her infirmities. He heard her in her her cry. And there was a restoration to a measure of physical strength. But we need to remember when the Lord does not restore us to full physical strength again. That the lesson he's teaching us is my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And that's the thing, Lord, grant me grace to bear with my infirmities and grant me the measure of recovery that is good for me because I do not want to be exalted above measure in this life. I don't want to find myself steeped with pride and everything else that goes with it. And so grace is sufficient for us. The idea that it's not the will of God that his people should be sick is an utter fallacy. It is a fallacy and it's not... Uh, it, 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 in many cases it's not a lack of faith oh you haven 't got faith that's why you're ill no it's the Lord has seen it best for you in those circumstances. very quickly then as we conclude there's one more point of application I will touch upon it next week before we go into verse twenty three God willing and just finish off what we don't we don't get through today and that is the physiological effect of our spiritual condition the physiological effect of our spiritual condition you've heard me quote quite a number of times from psalm 32 psalm 32 psalm 32 is the account that we have of david after he had sinned with bathsheba before nathan the prophet came in the general consensus is that this is when that psalm was written that that was the point that the psalm was written and it's describing david's experience during that period of time. He says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. And that is absolutely true. The blessedness of those who are forgiven, who have been justified freely by God's grace. But now I want you to notice something. In the next verse he says, in the next verse he says, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long, for night and day thy hand was heavy upon me, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Sillah, Think on these things. So what happened? Well, David has sinned grievously against the Lord at the end of uh, at the end, I think it is First um, Samuel, Second Samuel, sorry, chapter um, chapter twelve. It says, "This thing which David did displeased the Lord. It displeased the Lord, and uh, he that was uh, and that was before uh, Nathan had come to him. In the next chapter, it records Nathan's interview, Nathan's interview with David." But here David is, ex- is describing his experience during that intervening period. He says, I kept silence. What about confessing his sin, dealing with his sin at the throne of grace, repenting of it and dealing with it in terms of the people he had offended against, against God first and foremost, but against the others as well. He says, my bones waxed old. He became as an old man with all the aches and pains of old age and the weakness. And his moisture, that is his energy, was drained from him. He had no go. He had no no energy left to do anything. Um, He was as a person who was in deep physical trouble, in deep physical weakness. And why? It was the connection between uh, the guilt that he's experiencing in his soul, in his very heart, in his soul. And it had an effect upon his body. It had a physiological effect upon him. And so, when we ignore the claims of truth and when we ignore the demands of God's holy law and when we fail to avail ourselves of the throne of grace and of that fountain opened for sin and for uncleanness and we go on in the conscious awareness of our guilt before the Lord and we don't do anything about it, our tongues are silent. There is there are physiological consequences you can't get on with anything you can't concentrate on anything you feel like someone who's 90 whatever it feels like to be 90 none of us know what that is yet if any of us get to 90 then we shall God willing but the point is this there was an effect upon David uh, sorry an effect of, uh, uh, of sin and the consequences of sin and the guilt of sin upon David And then over in Psalm 38, we see the same kind of thing set before us. He says, verse 2, For thine arrows stick fast in me, my hand, and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head, as an heavy burden they are too heavy for me, my wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness now he doesn 't specifically describe for us exactly what had been going on he didn't doesn 't describe for us exactly what had been going on in terms of what had brought him to that point, but he describes the outworkings of it, and so this is an instance of where the man 's spiritual condition had a direct effect upon his body upon his, the physical aspect of his being and taking heed to the scriptures and dealing with these kinds of things as God has appointed at the throne of grace seeking mercy, it brings with it health to thy navel, strength to thy bones, as it's put elsewhere. And so what are we to make of these things? Well, when we sin, we are to see and there are consequences of it, especially when it's not dealt with, then what are we to do? We are to come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we are sick, what are we to do? We are to plead with the Lord to grant us recovery and restoration and to give us grace to bear with the effects of the infirmities. That we are to seek mercy from his hand, grace to help in time of need. And the question you need to ask yourselves is, is that your disposition to infirmity and sickness? Or do you just constantly say, oh, well, it's because I haven't got enough faith. That's the problem. Well, maybe it is at times, but it's certainly not universally the case. And then you also need to remember the Lord's dealings with Job. We're told that Satan uh, was given permission to try Job within an inch of his life, as we say. And we're told that he was going to, that Job, he was going to be able to deal with Job physiologically. Job ended up covered in boils. He ended up with a loathsome disease. He ended up in all kinds of agonies of body because of this loathsome disease that had come upon him. That doesn't mean that all disease comes from the hand of Satan, that he is simply the uh, the main implementer of those things. But God gave Satan permission to try Job in a certain way, and we're told specifically at the outset of the book of Job that Job was a just man who eschewed evil. He was righteous in all his doings. And so the affliction that had come upon him was not because of specific sin he had committed or because he he was in a low spiritual condition with undealt with sin, putting him in in the circumstances of David in either Psalm 32 or Psalm 38. The Bible says exactly the opposite. And so what are we to learn from that? That there are times when these afflictions come that we might glorify God in patiently bearing with those afflictions. And that's exactly what Job did. Neither did he curse God. He did not kick against God's dealings with him, showing that what Paul experienced, Job also experienced. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength made perfect in weakness. Now, there's a lot more that could be said. I'm going to leave it there. As I said, next week we'll just come back and finish off what I wanted to say. Time's getting away. We have the Lord's table in a moment and uh, I don't want to rush things through. So by way of application then, by way of application, when we begin to deal biblically with every aspect of life, when we keep the word of God constantly before our eyes, when we lay it up in our hearts believingly, when we frame our thinking according to the Scriptures, take this area of illness, infirmity, and so on, when we begin to think of it scripturally, is it a chastisement from the Lord? Is it a a trial of our faith? Is it so that we can demonstrate uh, in the realities of life a gracious disposition, a willing submission to the will of God? And seeing the reality of my strength, my grace is sufficient for you, These are all things that we are to have in perspective and if the Lord does give us a return to health and to strength then it's not to consume upon ourselves but so that we might use that strength in his service and to do his will and to glorify him upon the face of the earth and to give all the glory to him for that recovery that he grants. And if he doesn't grant us a full recovery be certain that his grace will be sufficient for you his strength made perfect in your weakness. And that all recovery, by whatever means are used, comes ultimately from the hand of God. And that is true of Christian and non-Christian alike. Make diligent use of means, and the Lord grants recovery. That is, from the hand of God, his blessing upon the means used. And when the means are not available or we're beyond the help of means, and he does grant us recovery, it is the hand of God again. And if he doesn't, grace will be sufficient for us. But in order to take comfort from these things, we first of all have to be savingly united to Christ by faith. And it is then that he will show us and we will see and understand these things, remembering that both our bodies and our souls have been redeemed and it's that aspect of things that i want to touch upon next week god willing amen and may the lord bless his word to us as a stand to pray oh our gracious and eternal father we pray that in the midst of our infirmities and weakness we might see that thy grace is sufficient for us, thy strength made perfect in our weakness. We pray for grace to willingly and humbly submit to thy dealings with us providentially, whether it's in health and strength or sickness and infirmity, and that we might be utterly depending upon thee for thy hand to be upon us for good, that we might not tempt thee in all our dealings, but rather be humbly beseeching thee for grace to help in time of need. We pray, O Lord, that uh, we might learn to maintain uh, our spiritual well-being through feeding our souls upon thy word, having communion and fellowship with thee, readily, willingly, and promptly confessing and forsaking our sin. We thank thee, O Lord, for the multitude of thy mercies, for thy presence with us. And as now we have the poignant reminders of thy death set before us, oh, that we might remember that thou art he who saves to the uttermost all that come unto the Father by thee. And, O Lord, we thank thee then for thy mercy. We pray for grace to behold thy glory. Pardon all our sin, we plead. For Jesus' sake. Amen. For those of you who will be sitting at the table, if you could come forward please and take your places, Um, if you're not already in the front two rows. Friends and brethren, I'd like us to turn please for a few minutes to the Gospel of John and to chapter 15. The Gospel of John and chapter 15. And we're going to read um, from verse 11 a few verses. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things command I command you, that ye love one another. Well, when we turn to verse 12, first of all, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you, or to love one another with a pure heart fervently. But when we come to the Lord's love for us, as I have loved you, um, as I have loved you, uh, we see the great demonstration of his love for us. He says this in verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Greater love hath no man uh, than this, that a man lay down... His life for his friends. And we have here in the elements before us the bed, the bread representing to us Christ's body broken for us, the wine in the cup representing to us Christ's blood shed for us, the death that he died, and the manner of that death, that uh, he laid down his life for us, that great love. We have no greater demonstration of that love than that he laid down his life for his people. And dear Christian, believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. You have set before you the emblems, the symbols of that love that remind you of that love that your Saviour has for you. He set that love upon you in the counsels of eternity, in the midst of all your unworthiness. He died for you in the midst of all your unworthiness. He effectually applied that redemption that he purchased in all your unworthiness. And he now continues to continues to work in you, to will and to do of his good pleasure in all your unworthiness. And if you ever want proof of the love of Christ for you, you have it in his death. Greater love hath no man than that he lay down his life for his friends. But notice also what he says in verse 15. He says, sorry, verse 14. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. At the end of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, uh, verse 20, uh, the Lord says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever, I have commanded you. Um, And here, if you love me, elsewhere, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then he says here, ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And so he's calling you friend. Um, he says henceforth I call you not servants for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you ye have not chosen me but I have chosen you and there you have the sovereign grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ you have the proof and evidence that he regards you as one of his people as his friend." and that he lay down his life for you, his friend. Greater love hath no man uh, than he lay down his life for his friends. And so he did. And so as we partake of the elements, let us be thinking upon that great mercy of Christ and the love wherewith he has loved us, that he laid his life down for us as his friends, and that uh, by his grace... We've been enabled to believe upon him we're savingly united to him by faith, and he will remain our friend that sticks closer than a brother all the days of our lives. He will conduct us with his counsel while we live and afterward receive us to glory. Amen. Well we read in first Corinthians chapter thirteen at verse tw- sorry chapter eleven at verse twenty three for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned of the world. Well, we read that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Well, let us pray. O oh, our gracious and eternal Father, we thank thee and bless thee that thou didst not spare thine only begotten Son, but gave him up for us all, that thou didst bruise him for our iniquities. The chastisement of thy, our peace was laid upon him by thee. And all oh, we thank thee that by his stripes we are healed. We pray that we might see that we have turned every one to his own way, but Thou, O our gracious Father, hath laid upon Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. We thank Thee, O Lord, for that great love that Thou hast demonstrated, for Thou hast said in Thy Word that greater love hath no man than that he lay down his life for his friends. Thou hast laid down Thy life for us, Thou hast called us Thy friends, and, all we pray that as we partake of the bread representing to us thy body broken for us, that we might give great thanks unto thee for thy mercy. We thank thee for uh, so great salvation. We pray that thou would pardon our many sins, have mercy upon us, and enable us to feed upon thee by faith. For Jesus' sake. Amen. We read after he'd given thanks, he took bread and break it and said, Take eat, this is my body broken for you. He said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of- We read, After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Our gracious and eternal Father, we thank thee for the glorious testimony we have in thine everlasting word to the finished work of thine only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and how he shed his blood for the sins of many. And, O Lord, we thank thee for that great proof that thou didst lay down thy life, not only in the sufferings that thou didst endure on behalf of thy people as thou didst bear the punishment of our sin in thine own body and in thine own soul, but also the death that thou didst die through the shedding of thy blood, reminding us that without the shedding of blood is no remission. And all we thank thee, O Lord, then, for this great demonstration, this poignant reminder of thy love for us. And as we partake of the cup, may we remember that it represents to us thy blood shed for us. Forgive us of our many sins, have mercy upon us, and enable us to look unto thee that we might live. Jesus' sake. Amen. We read, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he comes. Well, let us pray. Our gracious and eternal Father, we pray that as we rise from the table that we might glorify Thee in every aspect of our lives, that we might go on our way rejoicing, knowing that Thou art propitious toward us, knowing that uh, Thou hast united us to Christ by faith. We thank Thee for that faith which is the gift of God. We thank thee for thy mercy and all oh, we pray for grace to glorify thee in all that we do pardon our many sins love us freely and go before us in the days that lie ahead we pray for Jesus sake amen Sing to God's praise. In conclusion, in Psalm 130, sorry, 104, verses 31 to 35. The glory of the mighty Lord continue shall forever. The Lord Jehovah shall rejoice in all his works together. Earth as affrighted trembleth all, if he on it but look, and if the mountains he but touch, they presently. To smoke the glory of the man.